Welcome everyone to the Learn Fresh podcast. My name is Nick Monzi, CEO and co-founder of Learn Fresh, and I'm joined by Calvin Seibert, our chief academic officer, my co-host, and affectionately and appropriately nicknamed the game changer of education. Changing the game. In this four-part series, we're going to be highlighting the inaugural cohort of the Learn Fresh Fellowship for Culturally Inclusive Education. The fellowship invites educators and curriculum writers of color to create and broadly share standards-aligned curricula that authentically represent the cultural, ethnic, and racial identities of their communities. In conjunction with Learn Fresh's existing community of education, program, and philanthropic partners, the fellowship provides space for educators to design, prototype, pilot, and promote their work. The fellowship strives to create a robust pipeline for the creation and implementation of culturally responsive K-12 curricula across all content areas from curriculum writers of color. In this episode, we're featuring Learn Fresh fellow Melanie Young. Melanie is the founder of Infinite Mind Tutors, a Black-owned tutoring agency with the mission to use the collective power of Black minds to transform America's educational landscape. Before launching Infinite Mind Tutors, Melanie was a teacher and tutor working in Philadelphia's public schools for over nine years. During this time, Melanie taught at Central High School, coached two NBA Math Hoops National Championship participants across two consecutive years, was awarded the Sixers Youth Foundation Game Changer Award in 2018, the Philadelphia Superintendent's Award in 2016, the Woodrow Wilson Rockefeller Brothers Fund Fellowship in 2015, and the University of Pennsylvania Woman of Color Award in 2014. Melanie Young is a two-time graduate of the University of Pennsylvania. So, well, you know, she's uh, definitely one of the uh, all-star educators. <laughs> so she's put in the work in the classroom. Uh, she's taken NBA math hoops to the next level. She's, uh, her students have made it to uh, national championships. And uh, you can just see the, you know, the glow on the students um, and, and on her at the same time. So... You know, she, she's been a really uh, special, unique person, and I've watched her even even through social media. You know, she's got she's got it going on. She's one of those superstar teachers, and uh, big shout-out to Melanie for, for uh, being a part of what we got going on now. Oh, I'm so happy to be a part. I've loved every second of my relationship with Learn Fresh community, so I'm happy to be here. So I'm going to kick us off uh, with the first question here. So, Melanie, can you tell us what has led you to work in education? That's a great question. Um, one that I think about a lot because my whole life has been dedicated to education. Um, and it's, it's really something like some, some people frame the question as like, you know, why you chose education. And I would say that it's definitely been more so of a calling um, onto my life. And just to sort of set up the picture of this. I'm from Philadelphia. Um, I My neighborhood high school is MLK High School. Um, and this high school is not known for being the best high school. So my entire life, my parents sort of set up this message of like, we're going to do anything so that you like don't have to go to your neighborhood school. Like we want to provide the best education possible for you. And um, they this was the message from my parents. 
Um, my dad had, as a high schooler, dropped out of high school multiple times, right? When he graduated high school, he will share, like, he barely could read. My dad really struggled throughout school. His father was in jail for most of his life and died when he was really young. Um, my dad sort of, like, will talk about this one teacher in his life that transformed him. And he says, this teacher, and I heard this story as a kid, but he said this teacher, he was like in a special class, you know, just trying to get my dad to graduate after he had dropped out of school multiple times. And my dad said this teacher sat him down and said, Melvin, that's my dad's name, Melvin. Um, he said, life, she's like, life is going to be really rough for you. You struggle academically. Um, you, you're not that great of a reader. You can barely read. But she said, if you put your mind to it and you work hard, you will be successful. And she said, I'm going to let you graduate. So this lady let my father graduate and he didn't attend his high school graduation. But um, the power of a teacher has always been on my life because of this story. Um, somebody who believed in my father when he hadn't believed himself and his mother was struggling with alcoholism and his father had died and all these, like he didn't have really good influences around him. And so hearing these stories and just like, there's so many different forms of education that sort of, um, there was my neighborhood school and then I had opportunities to go to private school. And so this like juxtaposition of different educational experiences forced me to ask really hard questions and then my career it was sort of an answer to those questions. Um, what I wanted to do is provide a more equitable space for education in America. So I became a teacher. And so that sort of was what has led my, um, my drive and passion for education. Thank you for sharing that because it's deep because I'm hearing a lot of the similar things. My, my, my parents uh, didn't want me to go to the school in the, in the neighborhood and uh, made, made it a point to where I was in a private school. Um, but it's just, mm -hmm. education is so important. I, I never even thought about being a teacher young or anything like that. Like when I, when I got into college, that's when I started making those, you know, really trying to figure out what, what my calling is, you know? So mm -hmm. um, I've, I found that and, and I really think that's special how you, you frame it and say it like that because teaching, I, I, I notice it's, it's not a, the, the normal type of job where you just go to work, make money and come home and do it all over again. It's not like that. You, you bring your kids home with you. You, you bring their papers home. You, you, their lives are like in your hands. So it's, it's so much more than just, you know, going to work and, and going home. And so, um, you, you definitely did, uh, you know, share that. And it, it always touches the spot with me because, you know, I am, I, I'm out of the classroom, but I'm, but I'm not out of the space. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, you hit it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, what would you say, um, some inspirations that you've had in your life? Who, you know, who, what inspires you or who inspires you, if you will? Wow. Um, I would say off the bat, I've talked about my parents, but they, I've always asked them this question. Um, like, do you like your job? <laughs> I literally have always asked my parents that question because they had pretty good, great jobs. My dad, um, for a large part of my life, he taught carpentry in uh, prison. Um, so he's also an educator himself. Um, he 
has dabbled with cars and all that things. And my mom has worked in corporate America her entire life. Um, fun fact about my mom, my mom didn't, she um, wasn't able to finish college because she had me and my sister. Um, but the year after I graduated college, she went back to college. And so two years ago, she got her, her bachelor's degree. And it was so nice to see her as an adult, um, you know, fulfill that dream of hers. Um, but like, in terms of just having really good examples of people who are dedicated to a cause, my parents said oh, they didn't really like love their jobs, but the life that they were able to provide for me made it worthwhile. Um, and so when I hear stuff like that, it makes me really grateful to like follow in their footsteps. And, and just even in a deeper way, like my ancestors inspire me, right? Um, as someone who knows the tribulations and trials of things that black people had to go through in America so that I can be here today, that I could have a seat at the Ivy League University that I went to. Um, when I think of our history, my history as an African-American female, um, that inspires me. And I, I like, I love that quote that like, I am my ancestors wildest dreams type of thing. Um, it helps me show up every single day of my life. Um, it helps me to one, get the rest that I need because oftentimes I am like grinding, 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 working. It helps me to do that, but it also helps me to say like, my parents and my great-grandparents grinded, right? Like they were on the fields. Like they did this so that I can experience this solace, that I can go on vacation. So I think I've been this like, I, I, as, as any teacher, we, should, we can talk about that. Any teacher experiences burnout because we give our whole lives away. Um, those, our kids in our classroom become our kids. Um, they're not someone else's, they're ours. And I think that's important. Like if you have a belief in public education, I think a lot of people who have a belief in public education because we don't believe in the other person's child. We believe in all of our children um, in this sort of village of growth. And so it's easy to get burnt out in education. Um, and so I, my ancestors taught me not only to work hard and to do things that better the community, but also to take that rest and solace. So, yeah, yeah those are things that inspire me. <laughs> You're inspiring me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So uh, what would you say has been the highlight of your um, experience as an educator? Mm. Um, well, I was, <laughs> I, was my, I had two, my first and second year teaching in the school district of Philadelphia. I had math hoops champions um, or people who went to the math hoops championship. So I want to shout out AA and Miguel. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> those were my students and um like that, yeah, just like seeing my students like have these experiences that take them out of their community and show them how big and amazing this world are. It's just so nice. Um, and it goes to say it's not those like those accolades that really excite me. It's those relationships with kids um, that I really hold tight to and cherish. Um, when kids reach out over the holidays, send you an email, send you a text and say, hey, like, happy New Year's, Miss Young. I just want to wish you a good New Year's. Like, things like that, like, they, those are the things that I cherish. Um, and I'm, I'm the most proudest of those relationships with kids. Um, yeah, I've received a lot. Like, I, I have been successful and um, I'm very grateful for it. Um, 
uh, my relationship with the Sixers, 76ers, has been a wonderful one. Um, with the school district of Philadelphia and, you know, the ways in which I'm able to get growth. I mean, we don't like this as, you know, teachers, we don't like to talk too much about standardized tests and the way uh, that we test, we have to test prep in this current educational climate to get the funding that we need or, you know, to make the, the argument for the monetary needs of our children. Um, but I, I mean, I have been wildly successful with being able to teach students math and to see my students say like, hey, Miss Young, I look forward to going to your class. I enjoy learning math. Like your class was the first class in which I was like, oh, I'm a mathematician. Like stuff like that, nobody can take that joy away from me. It makes me really happy and proud. Um, and so I continue to do the things that I do. I totally get it. Absolutely. Yeah. My, I, I can relate as well when my students reach out to me later, you know, just even when they find me on social media later, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. after they get older and stuff. And it's like, wow, like they I I can't say that I can do that mm -hmm. for the teachers that I, I, I can't say that I I can't I can't do that. So it's almost a big reason why I entered the teaching space so that I could be the teacher that I never had. That's that's always been my story. So, yeah. um, and I would even go further. Like, I mean, I think I was really blessed to have good mentors in school. Um, but one of the things when I sort of given a critique about it is they were always white women. And to have somebody who looks like you and talks like you and grew up in the same city as you to say that, like, I wanted to be that. Like, I didn't want to just be, you know, this woman from another part of the country who settled in Philadelphia and decided to teach in a public school like I I feel very honored to look like and behave like you know and have the background of my students um and so yeah very happy to become that also <laughs> Melody, just thinking about the, the fellowship itself, you know, obviously you've been connected to the organization over the course of a number of years now, but when you first saw the opportunity, what stood out to you about it and what prompted you to apply? I feel like there needs to be an innovative energy in education. And anyone or anything that's trying to create space for that, I want it to be a part of. So I like to think of education in school not only happening in the building. And so one of my, you know, pet peeves are that like students feel very comfortable saying, I'm not a math person, right? But you you rarely hear students say like, I'm not a, I don't read. Like, they, there's generally like this consensus that, you know, we learn to read, right? And we also learn, like, I want students to learn to own their mathematical abilities. Like, I'm so tired of being like, people saying, oh, no, don't, don't ask me to do that calculation or what's the tip? Uh, give it to Melanie. I just hate that. I'm not, I'm not a human calculator. But um, I do feel confident in my, my abilities to understand numbers and numeracy and make, you know, um, and make like you know pretty basic calculations and so I want my students to feel 
um, that like, you know, good math is not hold, is not, you know, only for the elite. It's not only for those who have, have, you know, gone and got math degrees in college. It's for all of us. Um, and so in order to make that happen, in order to make that shift happen, I feel like we need to be more innovative in education. Um, and what that means is that we feel comfortable talking about math at the dining room table, that we think about math in imaginative ways, that we're not always thinking about doing math in the same algorithm that we were all taught in school. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that. Like I wanted to um, work with other educators and be in that space where we're all thinking about like, how can we be more innovative? How can we reach more students? How can we um, do it in a way that's culturally relevant and not isolating for our students. Um, and so I heard all this in the fellowship. So I was like, oh my goodness, I want to be a part. Um, I think that COVID-19 has also highlighted this fact that we have to find new and engaging ways to connect with our students outside of the school. Uh, we have to find new and engaging ways for parents to connect with their students on things such as math in ways that are fun and not, you know, an argument. <laughs> like, get your homework done, right? We wanted to, you want to encourage positive conversation about math and not ones that are always, like, you know, disciplining. <laughs> yeah, and the point around math being for everyone, I think, is just so important beyond just, a, like, a mindset issue as when you're, you know, in K-12, but when you get older, the conversations that I've started to have when we like pitch the concept of math as, as a critical element of any student's education at a broader scale beyond just like the network of education funders per se is, you know, math is really like a, in some sense, access to math and math skills is like a social equity issue because, mm -hmm. and, and a financial equity issue, because if you don't develop foundational math skills. People are like, well, yeah, you can do simple math for on a calculator, but it's also the ability to reason and the ability to look at numbers and manipulate them in a certain way or make decisions based off of them. And that affects everything from your paycheck to your shopping list, to your credit cards and loans, to your mortgage. I mean, the ability to have the, the language just like you do on the, on the reading and writing side of education to have that language in your toolkit to be able to navigate through life is just as important. Mm -hmm. I will also add to that, that in order to the practical uses of math, there is this like, when you're hanging out with other mathematicians, <laughs> and it's one thing that sort of annoys me, but like there's this confidence and swagger that people who are good at math have. And I want all my students to have that. Like their light is bright. Like you can have, you can be confident too. You can have that too. Um, so I want them to have that spirit of a mathematician. Like I can solve any problem, right? I used to try yeah. to trick my students into liking math. I'd say, I'd say, uh, do you, do you like money? <laughs> okay. Well, you might want to like math because that that's gonna work together. So if you're saying you. You, you like money and you don't like math. That's kind of, that's not how it goes. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. I would trick them into believe, you know, 
want wanting that, you know? And that's is that's how it starts, but then they get to see the beauty of it. Like I love teaching algebra too, cause that's when I think math starts really get like algebra one is sort of basic, the one step, two step equations, basic functions. I think algebra two is the place where it gets like, oh, this is really like there's some really big light bulb moments, um, and I think then I think how do I describe this? But this is like this algebra two is when math sort of becomes supernatural. Right, you because yeah, it's like it's just sort of like oh, these patterns are really there, and like they they complement one another and stuff like that. So, um, I'm just I, another reason is I feel like my so another reason that I sort of entered into teaching math is because uh, although I went to a magnet school in Philadelphia, when I went to Penn, my math skills were nothing like those of my private school, suburban school friends. And so I really struggled. My math, my intro math calculus courses at Penn, like I did, I changed my major. I went in in my college essay to the University of Pennsylvania. I said I wanted to be a math major. I did not come out a math major. I did come out, I went and got my master's in education and everything. I did come out a math teacher, but I was not a math major. Um, and that's largely because of equity issues. Um, and so, I don't want that for students. Um, maybe one day I'll go back and I'll get that math degree. But right now, I'm spending too much time fighting the, the cause. <laughs> so along, along those lines, as we talk a little bit more around equity and education, this is a big topic and obviously has been super relevant, not only over the last year and the last decades, but throughout the history of this country. But when you zero in on the education space, right, issues of racial, ethnic, cultural inclusivity, inclusivity, representation. What are some specific areas in which you think the education sector can improve in terms of the way that we address those subjects? This is a great question. And I have a huge interest in education policy, how we fund schools. And so like any answer that sort of talks about equity in education, I have to say it. Like, how much money we give schools and school districts should not be dependent on how the, the cost of your parents' house, right? In so many places around the United States, education is funded on property tax. That's how it is in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, right? And that blows my mind. Like, who thought that this, what, what mathematician, right? Like, thought this was a good idea. So this is when we have to connect both, like, math and justice. Make sure we're representing the people who we're serving, um, and like, is, is public education doing what it's called to do if there's these like mass disparities in how students are educated? So I always bring up the funding thing, um, because I think it's important. Um, <laughs> these are some other like policy class size. <laughs> Like, I, as a teacher, I think burnout happens. And so, like, I read all these research papers, like, some scholars out there from in these education schools say that class size doesn't matter, right? There are scholars out there saying that it does not matter based off of statistics, right? Um, based off of some research. But if you ask any teacher if class size matters, they're going to tell you yes. Um, they're going to say a resounding yes. And the reason why is because you cannot educate without a relationship, 
and you can spread yourself so thin and get burnt out and this is why teachers leave um but yeah like there needs to be education relationship we're not like we're not in this work just to teach math we want these skills we want our students to have them but there are so many barriers that gets between learning the math and the teacher <laughs> and so like the teacher is sort of that that bridge right like these are things I need to teach how am I going to teach that well not only also by having like really great curriculum which is important I'll talk about that like having really great curriculum but also being able to reach and talk to that student in the way that they need that they need to be taught um, and that takes a lot of energy and if you're doing that if you're doing that with for 33 kids five times a day it's going to be tiring so I would say funding class size and then I will also say curriculum um I am a fan of common core math I will say that um I think that the cognition the science behind it is great um but I think one of the things that the fellowship is trying to do is make that more practical make that more friendly um make that more like like let's talk about MBA math hoops why I incorporated it into my classroom my first two years of teaching was because my kids needed a break from the regular curriculum I said like hey I talked to my principals like I have this really great game can I use it for two hours a week with my students and he said yes I'm so happy I'm grateful that I had a principal that let me do that because he saw the worth in it and he believed in me and that I can implement it well but um kids need a break from worksheets they need something that interests them that they can see themselves in um they they need it to be fun they need a they need to laugh while they're learning i incorporate so much music into my classroom um because it, there has to be joy in education and so those are the three things i would say i would say i'm really passionate about funding class size and i'm also really passionate about curriculum that is joyous and engaging um and draws our students in to teach them the things that we would like them to learn yeah, I, I wanted to stand up and give you a standing ovation for the line that was, you can't teach without a relationship or something like that. <laughs> that is so, so true, so deeply true. And I, I appreciate the, we I think the housing valuation and connection with taxes and school funding has come up on one previous podcast, but just the focus on the mechanics of government and how that relates to education and and opportunity for students is it's like the less sexy thing to talk about but it's like mm. the most critical thing it like is, is the thing that yeah. lets the system be what it is without any sort of change or improvement so <clears throat> calling that out off the top is deeply important yep i think it's sad that a lot of teachers like get away from that when they start teaching they get away from the policy stuff because they're so busy with building relationships and creating fun activities for their students that they forget about the mechanisms that make the system the way it is um and so i like to remember it i like to talk about it when i can <laughs> um what would you say is your big goal for the fellowship i am excited to create to create a product that like represents my essence in education um 
there's so many things that I enjoy doing as a mathematician that I haven't been able to implement in my classroom. Um, mostly because I just didn't have the time support to do so. But I'm like, this fellowship is giving me that space to do that. Um, I have, like, I love the idea of like math hoops and coaching. Like, I think mentorship and math is super important. Um, I have, um, like, I mean, I'm an ideas person, right? And so, like, I have, like, journals full of ideas that I'm just really excited to see, like, which one manifests itself. I have ideas about, like, creating, like, mealtime activities with math that are easy to sort of talk about. Like, we want to bring people together with a meal because, like, my family loves to eat together. We're not talking about math all the time, but we talking. And so maybe there's a way to fun, like, incorporate math into that in a way that's not threatening for the student or the parent. Um... So I'm really excited to just get these ideas that I have into action. Um, I, I'm so excited to create. <laughs> I am really, really excited to create. Well, Melanie, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. We are so, so appreciative of the fact that you're joining us throughout 2021 on this inaugural journey for the fellowship. Um, excited and inspired by everything that you've done and super pumped to see where you take this project as we move ahead throughout the year and beyond. So thank you again for your time community. Hope you enjoyed this conversation and we'll see you again soon on our next Learn Fresh podcast. That's all for today's episode to learn about the other fellows in the inaugural class of the Learn Fresh Fellowship for Culturally Inclusive Education, check out the other episodes in this four-part series. The Learn Fresh podcast is produced by our very own Nick Monzi and Sumner Becker with additional production assistance from Caitlin Woodward. Sumner Becker also does our engineering, editing, and music. The Learn Fresh podcast is part of the Side Audio Network an audio community founded by Jeremiah Ote and Naranjan Kumar. The Side Audio Network hosts podcasts that aim to transfer trust between people and communities through storytelling and conversation. Mm-hmm.